Big Buck Registries, Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 100. A tribute to Lane Benoit, part two. Stay tuned for part three tomorrow. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Welcome to episode number 100, a tribute to Lane Benoit, part two. Paul Dupuy was Lane's last cameraman. And in the aftermath of Lane passing, we decided that it would be worthwhile for the North American Tracker Project people to get together and just talk about Lane. I was a part of the North American Tracker Project. Lane had asked me personally to join. Of course, I said yes. So in a small cabin in central New Hampshire, we joined together and feasted on Lane's last buck. We had venison, we drank wine, and we told stories about Lane. And the most stories come from Paul. As you can imagine, being a cameraman for Lane Benoit, there's probably nobody better to tell the idiosyncrasies of Lane Benoit than Paul Dupuy. So I met with Kyle Burns, who is the pro staff taxidermist, John Dockowitz, the pro staff mechanic, and Paul Dupuy, the field production coordinator and the cameraman for Lane for the last couple of years. Paul had some amazing insights about how Lane went about his daily business, and he opens up and tells it all over dinner. So I broke the entire two-hour dinner down to just one hour, and took out some of the best spots and best clips that I thought were the most entertaining and gave us the most insight as to how Lane led his life. Meet Johnny. Lane's pro staff mechanic. So I was working on it. Yeah. Next thing I know, it's in the lift and we're doing work. <laughs> and the next thing I know, he took it for spin. And uh, and somebody replaced the, uh, did some work on the rear end of that. Mm-hmm. And put a different yoke on it. <laughs> so the drive shaft slipped off. Gotcha. And I said, let go. And I said, well, you, you have a lot of slack on it. You have a lot of miles on this thing. And I just, in fact, I just repowered that truck. And right before he passed, he came over and picked it up, you know, yeah. drove it home. You know, the truck was been sitting for, what, over a year? No kidding. Yeah. That was, that was the vehicle you had before you got the truck? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was his hunting rig. Yeah. Yeah. Lane in a Japanese vehicle. I first started driving the FJ. Lane wasn't big on it because he said he wasn't going to drive any Japanese vehicles. He, he wanted he was partial to his Chevy. Right. And uh, one season in it, he loved it. And then when John started doing the modifications, he really loved it. And I I told him I said, well, why don't we bring John on as our pro staff mechanic? Right. He says, pro staff mechanic. What do you mean? I says, well, you know, I said trade and barter. Well, you know. Knowledge and, uh, you know, yep. money and whatever. 
And, yeah. you know, because we're going to build this because if, you know, if you're not growing, you're right. dying. Right. Wrapping the truck. Telling Lane he can't. And shortly after that, Lane and I came up with the idea of starting to go around to dealerships. Oh, we, yeah. we had half a dozen people tell us, oh, you can't do that. Dealerships never give you anything. Right. So he ended up going to Capital City GMC up in Montpelier. Yeah. And they ended up uh, putting him in a lease at an employee rate, and then they paid $4,000 to have the thing totally skinned, camouflage. That's awesome. And all the other stuff. And Lane was just kind of like shaking his head. Let me get this straight. Somebody told Lane he couldn't. Yeah, well, and that's, and that's and that's the bite of the apple. You tell Lane it can't be done, and yeah. then there he goes ahead right. and wants to do it. <laughs> and then uh, the day we went in to uh, finalize what we were going to put on the truck, yeah. we were asking them what they, uh, when we went into the, the detailer that they used, we asked them what they uh, charged to, to do it, and they told mm-hmm. us. And then they said, oh, but we can't afford. And then Lane approached him, well, you want to do some advertising on the vehicle. Capital City GMC has it on there, you know, and they okayed us to to sell some spots on the vehicle. Well, no, we can't do that, you know. I came up with the idea of, well, what about if we have you wrap Lane's other truck and then you put the, after you wrap the Blazer, then you put advertising on both of them. They agreed to it. And so that was supposed to happen this spring. A visit to the gun shop, turning the celebrity on and off. It was a real neat piece of artwork the day that we uh, we went to Perro's gun shop mm. and we were shooting pieces for the DVD. Yep. I had set his truck up, angled at the front door, and my FJ with my sticker with magnets for yep. master trackers on it angled in at the door and we did a little photo op there for a second and the store was totally dead for like we had we had parked the cars around back and we brought them up and we wedged them in there and we started doing the photo shoot they had like 50 people in the store by the time we were done and they're just like hey you guys gotta stay (laughs) and we're like what it's like yeah you guys are you guys are really doing Doing good for the store. Why don't you stay a while? It is crazy how he, how he just had this celebrity about him. I don't think he really even knew it, you know. <clears throat> Went to a wedding. He would turn it on and off. Yeah. The Reach and the Landscapers. Probably one of my biggest shockers with it when I was down in Westport about three weeks ago. Yeah. I'm with Wendy and we're, we're stopping by one of her friend's kids to pick up a jacket that one of her sons left at it yeah it's like a five million dollar house yeah looks like something out of you know the beverly hillbillies you yeah know? he's willing to put a sauna in there i'm sorry johnny let me open the door buddy oh well, thanks for asking okay so i'm sitting there waiting for wendy to come back out by the time she came back out there's like eight guys around the truck and here are all these landscapers the yeah. guys that own the landscaping company in, in westport the, the one guy comes around and he says whoop what do you do with the Benoits? He says, where do you get one of them stickers? I says, well, if, you, if you're on pro staff, you get one as it's a magnet. He says, oh, you're on pro staff. And then he started talking here. These guys were all, and I'd run into that when I was in Maine and Vermont and New Hampshire, but that was the first time that close to New York City I ran into that. Yeah. Wow. And they were 
they were diehard. It's it's amazing the reach that they had. Well, and when I lived in central Pennsylvania, I mean, I lived there when I found out about them. Yeah. And when I retired from the prison. Right. And then, you know, a couple years afterwards, I started filming for Lane. I was talking to one of the guys that I, I used to hunt with. And I said, yeah, you're not going to believe what happened, man. I said, I, I hooked up with Lane Benoit I'm, I'm filming for him. He's like, what? Next thing you know, I'm getting like 40 phone calls. All the guys I worked with, what the hell are you doing, yeah. Frenchie? <laughs> Meet the taxidermist, Kyle Burns. I'm the guy that plays with all the dead animals. You play with dead animals? <laughs> yeah. So Give him the whole smell. The yeah. taxidermist. Yeah. Well, I started out, there was a little chainsaw shop down here in Lemster. And Paul come in one day getting parts for his course. Being hunters, start talking. He asked me, he goes, you know the Benoits? Well, of course I do, you know. He goes, oh, I'm Lynn Benoit's videographer. He said, oh, really? And I'm a taxidermist. <laughs> and we just hit it off. We turkey hunted that spring. This would have been the third year we turkey hunted together with Lane. Mm-hmm. And did, all, did all Lane's taxidermy. Yeah. Do all Paul's. Originally, I'd asked him, I said, uh, Lane, I said, you know, this guy Kyle, you know, he's, a, he's a taxidermist. I said, you know, I think we should put a, we need a pro staff taxidermist. Well, I don't want just anybody doing my stuff. He said, I don't want to pay, I don't want to pay a lot. Hmm. Lane's cheap. That's right. the <laughs> statement. So anyway, he said, well, maybe I'll let him do one and then we'll see what we do or see how he does with it. He got the first buck back, and he was just in awe. He was just like, you know how many bucks I got mounted? He says, you know my house, Paul. He says, that kid, does, he knows what he's doing, and he's young, so he's going to keep perfecting it. He says, and he's already really good. You better get hold of him. Make sure that we keep him. <laughs> next thing I know, the next show, I didn't even know you were doing Larry's tribute buck until yeah. it showed up. So one of the, one of the sets of sheds that... That uh, Lane had of his dad's. Yeah. Kyle went ahead and mounted it with a oh, wow. cape and That's did awesome. a tribute buck. Kyle, how'd you get your skill set? You I mean, you, can't, you just don't walk into taxidermy every day with it. I went to taxidermy school in Evansburg, Pennsylvania. Oh, no kidding. For a year. That's cool. That's, That's cool. That's when you met John, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I met Johnny. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, we went there. The cameraman, Paul Dupuis. Paul, you spend more time with Lane. Probably most men should spend with Lane Benoit, <laughs> <laughs> uh, especially in the recently. So they spend. The yeah, day. last five years. Of yeah, average six months out of the year. Right. How did you? How did you first meet Lane? Well, I was. Like a lot of guys, I was a friend or a fan of the Benoits yep. for years. And um, I went, uh, when I was in the Iraq War, I had uh, certain disabilities that eventually over time pushed me to the point where I went 100% and I retired. Yep. And the year after I retired, I was at a sportsman show down in. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and I met Dave Coker. Then at the uh, Great American Outdoor Show? That's right. Yep. And 
built a friendship up with Dave, saw Dave a few times. And then five years ago at the Hartford show, I ran into Dave and I said, Dave, I said, what's up with these Benoits? They're never at any of the shows I go to. Yeah. He said, well, Lane's sitting right there. And I turned to my brother and I said, Danny, I'll see you later. I'm going to go get a job. He says, what are you talking about? I said, I don't, I'm not married. I don't have a, you know, I don't need a paycheck. (laughs) Yeah. I said, I don't care if I'm camp cook, scout, whatever he wants to do, videographer. I don't care. I'm going to do it. So I went over and I introduced myself to Lane and Irene. And and, uh, initially he told me, no, I don't need anything. But I was persistent. And I, I went ahead and I wrote down my contact information and I gave it to Lane. I said, if you need anything, scouting anything, you let me know. I just love to be in camp with you guys. Yeah. You know, I, I want to learn how to track. I, you know, you guys, right. you give just enough teasing in the in the videos, but not enough to really know how to do it. That's true. So, about six months after that, Lane actually called me and said, "Hey, we uh, we need a new videographer. We're having a barbecue at my house this weekend. Why don't you come up, use my camera, film, and." We'll let our producer look at it, and, and we'll pick whoever's the best. Yeah, you do. So I called my brother, and I told him, hey, we're going to a barbecue at the Benoit's. <laughs> <laughs> and he called his boss and told him that he wasn't working that weekend, and we drove up, and wow. I filmed. And a couple of weeks after I filmed it, Lane called me up, and he says, yeah, you got it if you want it. And that's how it started out. I bought my own equipment and really didn't know anything. Gotcha. And uh, just started following Lane around and just watching, taking notes. Yep. And he used to joke around about it all the time. He says, "He says you like a TV reporter or something? You're always taking notes. I said, no, I don't want to forget what you're teaching me. That's and, true. And, uh, you know, Lane had paying clients that would pay up to $500 a day to go tracking with him. Right. So I knew what I had going on yeah. was a valuable thing. My oh. girlfriend didn't think so at the time. She says, you know... <laughs> You're not getting paid to do this. I said, you don't understand. People pay $500 a day to hunt with this guy. Right. I said, so just look at his $500 a day every day that I'm out there with him. Well, Lane and I, the first year, I I really missed, messed up the first chance I had to film Lane killing a buck. Gotcha. I was so nervous that when the buck came down, I had it in the viewfinder. And... I'm filming it, and Lane's like, do you got it? And I I hit record, and I was so nervous, I didn't realize it. I hit the button twice, Mm. and it came on, and it recorded, and boom, Lane shot. And I'm looking at the camera, and it says standby. So I hit record again, and I turn over, and I was like, Lane, I think I just missed the kill shot. I have the footage. I mean, if looks could kill, I would be dead. (laughs) But Lane had this thing with me where I, I believe that, he gave me more leeway yeah. than other people because he knew about being a disabled vet and and just all that. And he saw how hard I was on myself Yeah, about missing it, mm-hmm. that he cut me slack. And then the next year I got it right. And the next year after that, I got it right. And each year as I went out with Lane, when we'd go out, every time we got out of the vehicle, he was an excellent mentor. Every time we got out of the vehicle, and he would do his initial assessment on the track. He'd come over and be like, okay, tell me what you see. Hmm. And I would tell him what I thought I knew. And then he'd tell me what I didn't know. <laughs> he would, you know, tell me what was actually there, how I could tell in between. And, you know, at the end of five years this past season, he told me, "I, he's, you got 95% of it. I'm cutting you loose. Oh. The Anatomy 
of a deer track. But when I think back to when I first started going out with Lane, you know, to me, a deer track was a deer track. Now, when I look at a deer track, I know if it's a buck or it's a doe, if it's an immature male or an older male, how much it weighs. And you give me a quarter of a mile, I'm going to tell you what he's got on his head. Awesome. Just by the way he positions his feet when he goes through. And Lane and I just had a working understanding with it. And what we started to bring to the table at the end of it was, you know, one of the advantages I had of being a fan before I ever worked with Lane is I knew what his fans wanted to see and what they weren't getting. Yeah. Being taught step by step how to do the bucks. Right. So Lane and I started to work on a three book series and we were going to do a three DVD series of beginner, intermediate and expert. Gotcha. And another one of the questions that we had when we go to the sportsman shows a lot is they would say, well, that's fine for you guys that can track all these big woods, but I have small portions of land. So this last year, Lane and I purposefully hunted two different states that we knew we were only going to be able to hunt, like 40-acre parcels, pieces of ground that we never went to. We were only there for a week. We only had two, three days worth of good scouting, and then you were sitting on what you found. Right. And we did that out in uh, Wisconsin, and we did it in North Carolina, and we filmed it all for these uh, DVDs. So Lane... It's a shame that he passed because we were just getting ready to go into a whole new aspect that the Benoit brothers never did, which was actually detail teaching people how to do what they do, no matter what the circumstances, whether you're in really big woods, because, you know, truthfully, you know, when Larry and the boys were really smashing them in Maine, you know, it was, it was in the early seventies, the heyday of it. And then late seventies, the heydays of Vermont. And those days are gone. You know, I mean, you got woods go through cycles of right. when big deer are there. Now Lane still went to those states yeah. and got big bucks. And but I tell you what, for every big buck that I was with Lane that he shot, we probably had two weeks worth of drive hmm. just checking tracks. We would stop and look at tracks all day long, and we might go three days before Lane actually saw a track that he got excited enough about to say, "Okay, we're going to follow it." And, uh, you know, two out of three times we'd follow that buck and within a quarter mile, he'd get to a tight patch. He wouldn't put his, he wouldn't put his hooves together to turn his head when he's going through the tight stuff or Mm -hmm. he would go through narrow stuff. And then Lane would just be like, no, we're not following him anymore. We'd turn around. We got to go further. We'll be right back. This year we had this one buck. He wanted to go hunt a spot that him and his dad had hunted in his youth. And the logging road was long since gone. We used our uh, winch on my FJ five times to get us up into where we went because we just kept getting buried. And he's like, no, we got to go farther. We got to go farther. (laughs) So after the fifth time that we winched it through, we got to a part where a tree was down and we were going to have to cut the tree to get through. And I'm going over and I'm looking at the tree and there's this buck track on the other side of the tree. And I'm like, motioning with my hands to Lane, come here. There's a big buck over here, you know. And he's like, what? What? And so I was like, there's a big buck over here. And he's like, shh. Puts his hands. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. So anyway, he comes over and he looks at it. He says, yeah. He says, there's a tight patch right up over this ridge. He says, we got to go up about 100 yards and just see what he's going through to see if he's worth following. He says, we'll, we'll be right back. I said, really? And anytime Lane, I should have known better. Anytime Lane says, we're going to be right back, we're not right back. The short end of the story is, uh, 
in a period of five hours, we made it all the way to the top. This buck went up, bedded down with two mature moose. We got the moose on footage. I'm watching these moose. Next thing you know, this buck just jumps out of nowhere, and all that I had on film was the tail going over the other wow. side. We're looking at our watches. At that point, it was two and a half hours into it, and it was going to take another two and a half to get down. Yeah. Did I mention we left the doors open on my truck and my vehicle was running and the lights were on? We'll be right back. <laughs> because Lane said, we're just going over this ridge 100 yards. We'll be right back. I'm wearing a vest. I'm wearing an orange vest. I don't even have a coat. And when we got all the way to the top, I was like, you know, Lane, don't you think we should have got... He says, well, you're a survival instructor. He says, I'm not worried about it. You'll just make one of them snow huts and we'll we'll be okay. He says, you'll be out of gas. But he says, that, that's... We can hike out of here. It's no problem. Yeah, we're 20 miles from the closest good logging road. Yeah. It was insane. But it was just when Lane got to the point where he saw something he liked, it didn't matter how far we were or, or didn't even, the idea of, of, of how long of a drag it was never even came into his mindset. The Pectacles of a Wreck. And Lane would start saying things. He says, okay, he says, now, now, look at that deer through your scope. He says, look at that thing's pectacles. He says, see how big those are? He says, that's how big he's going to be next year. He says, you can't just, you know, he says, if you're going to look at the rack, look at the right part of the rack. Right. If his pectacles are, you know, close to the same size of what the beam is, you know he's getting pretty close to being done. Yeah. He says, but if you look at him and he spoons way out and his pectacles are huge, and you're in an area that you know that isn't going to get hammered. And I tell you what, nobody in their right mind would hunt half the places Lane and I hunted. Because <laughs> it was five to ten hours worth of trekking. Right. And most guys, they get in a mile and they're just like, I'm not dragging anything out of here. Right. So they turn around. But that's where the holy grail. Yeah. That's where you find the big stuff. When you that's finally when you get to hitting the buck sign. Yeah. When you, when you get to where everyone else gives up. You keep going a little while longer, and sure enough, that's where they are. Lane and I found a spot this year where we actually we stayed in my camper because nobody else was staying out in that area, and we managed to drag my my camper out this logging road in the snow. Yeah, and uh, it was negative twelve. We had propane the first two days. We stayed a week. <laughs> I had a negative forty military bag, and Lane was just like. Oh, we don't need that. We got propane. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way the propane's <laughs> going to last that long. I keep extra blankets and another military sleeping bag in my truck, so I ended up giving that to him. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you, what did you give to Lane? No, I gave him, I gave him another military <laughs> bag. No, 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 no. Two memorials, one farm. Two different memorials. And I want to plant one at Scott's. Where Larry shot his last buck, yep, and plant another one. That's a good idea. Right where Lane shot his last buck, because they were both on the same farm. They both right. shot their last deer on the same farm. Right. That's messed up. Two miles apart from each Never other. Thought of that. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's a good idea though. You, you won't find too many memorial markers in the woods dedicated to old hunters. Yeah. that's a great idea. Hmm. Now Larry was famous for when. He would kill a deer someplace. He'd carve his name in the tree. Would he really? And when Lane and I went back this year, the tree that he cut down, mm-hmm. Scott had in his house. Really? <laughs> he cut it down and he, you know, had it, you know, 
like how you do like a mount on a deer or something like right. that, but it was, you right. know, a section of a tree and it had, mm-hmm. you know, the LED on it. Wow. No kidding. And actually, Kyle did that with the memorial buck. He did a a log or a large branch underneath mm-hmm. it and carved LED underneath it. That's awesome. The Memorial Buck for Lane, a tribute to Larry Benoit, Kyle's debut. Lane didn't like it. I don't know that guy. He ain't ever done anything for me. Hell, Kyle gives me a shirt off his back. I never had a deer turn around like that. And then to have it look like it does? Yeah, that Memorial Buck for Larry. Approaching Lane with the idea, I want to do it for a show in Maine. Yep. At the uh, Sportsman, or Cabela's. And I was like, yeah, it's in August. You know, I said, it's just an idea I had. So I want to do a pedestal mount for you in tribute for your dad. He goes, yeah, I like that idea. He said, I'll, I'll look right in the house. And he said, I'll find a set of sheds he found or an old rack he has or something. And he goes, yeah. I'll get a hold of you. So, okay. Next day, he calls me back. He goes, hey. He said, Dad found this rack way back in the 60s. He goes, I've always had it in the house. He goes, I want you to do it. I said, okay. I said, next time you're down this way, I said, stop in. I said, I'll pick it up. Yep. He goes, when's your show? And I said, it's in um, August. I said, that's what I'm aiming for to do it for is the show, competition. What time of year was this that you were talking? Now. Gotcha. And uh, he goes, well, I want it for the Rutland show. I said, all right, when's that? He goes, two weeks. I'm like, Lane, I said, I don't even got a cape. I said, I got to order a cape. I said, I got to order everything. I said, it takes a week for him to dry. He goes, you do what you got to do and let me know if you need anything. He said, I'm dropping the horns off tomorrow. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Now, so nervous because, for one, it's That was your your big debut. Yeah. With him. For one, it's for Lane. And two, it's representing his dad. Who in, just passed away. Who just passed away in Vermont. This is a big deal. I was, I, I was a lot of sleep over it. I, I like, bet. Oh, no. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure. A lot I, of pressure. I didn't mm-hmm. tell Lane what I had in mind. I told him, I said, it's going to be a pedestal now. And I said, that's all I'm telling you. Yeah. He goes, okay. And I did it up. Buck looks like he just stood up out of his bed. Snow all over him. I even put I, like ice particles in his whiskers. The whole that was that the whole was nine that works. was the, that everything was I could do. Nice. Put him in the snow, and I brought the trailer up. And still, Lane hasn't. He doesn't know what's coming. And I had a uh, wooden plaque made up, hand carved in memory of Larry Benoit, with the buck track right there. He yeah. didn't know I was doing that. That's a good touch. And I took the blanket off the top, and he just goes, "You nailed it." I was like, "Sweet," you know. Felt good right there. I tell you what, Lane talked about like the the the, the whiskers on it yeah. had like the dew on it, like where a deer would be breathing heavy. That's crazy. Lane looked at that and he was just like, "I've never seen anything like that." He, said, he knocked it out of the park. And he kept on giving me a hug. He says, "Thanks for finding Kyle." Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so now Kyle found me. <laughs> and the uh, the base was a little bigger than what we would have liked because. Lane's like, I don't know where I'm going to put this at the booth. He goes, my booth's full. And we were just, we're sitting there looking at it. We had it inside the uh, show at this point. It's first thing in the morning. No one's there yet. And uh, Fred Allard was walking by, the guy yeah. that runs it. Yeah, I know Fred. He was like, what's this buck? And Lane, you know, oh, this kid did it. He said, did it for dad. And he goes, I just don't know where I'm going to put it. He goes, I know right where you're putting it. Lane goes, well, where do you want it? He goes, right at the front door. 
<laughs> it was the first thing like, you saw when you came in. Smokes. You know, this is like this is the second deer I did for or third deer I did for Lane. Now, now everyone's gonna see it, and I I had so many people come up. That's good exposure. Yeah, they're like, "You do that deer out in the front?" I said, "I sure did." He goes, "Everyone, it looks awesome." So I just just can't explain the feeling. It was awesome. How's <laughs> business been since then? It's taken off. <laughs> it's been crazy. And he's doing it full time. <laughs> yeah. A trip to North Carolina to test Lane's skills. Yeah, that guy that we went in North Carolina to spend the time with, he was just, yeah, he was smitten. He met Lane at that <clears throat> at that North Carolina thing, and he kept telling us, "Well, that that all works fine up there in the mountains up there." He said, "But that don't work down here in South Carolina because you're down here in a swamp." So Lane and I get down there, and we get maps of his property. And Lane's just like, I don't know how to funnel them through this stuff. I said, I was stationed down in Florida. I used to deer hunt down in Florida. I said, well, look at the aerial maps and we'll look for the Ponderosa Pines. And then they'll follow the edges of that. We'll start there. So he started in there. And then after Lane got in there, as soon as he got on a track, it didn't matter what kind of topography it was. He was like a dog. The biggest thing we had to do there was we started taking pictures of all the deer tracks that we saw because we didn't know what a big deer was for right. North Carolina right because yeah. you're going into a totally different size of deer there's no rocks so their hoofs aren't getting rounded off right even the bucks have pointed toes right. you know everything was so we just started studying the stuff and and by day three Lane and I were like yep we know where we're gonna go when the guy's just like well where and this guy had like six different pieces of property and Lane and I walked every day the first three days and when we pinpointed the three spots that we were going to sit, that guy's like, how the hell you guys do that? He says, you know, out of 300 acres, he says, you boys picked my three favorite hunting spots. Because <laughs> what he does works where you're at, too. Right. And that, that made a believer out of me with a lot of it, too, you know, because I had seen it. I was used to it in Pennsylvania, New England, where you're doing the funnels, you're doing the bogs, you're right. doing your water sources, yeah. and, you know... You're looking at aerial aerial photography for where your hardwoods yeah. meets the yeah. uh, the uh, cedar bogs. That's easy, but then when you're taking that skill set and you're moving it out to Wisconsin, where it's cornfields, yeah, and being able to pattern it, and then you're taking it from there and you're going to Minnesota, and it's clear cut timber, right. flat, right, <laughs> and then taking it to North Carolina, where it's swamp, right. Swamp bogs, and the same thing works in every one of the spots. You know you got some. Think like a deer. Yeah. That's what he always told me. You got to think like a buck. Got to think like a buck. Lane, I can't do that. (laughs) What do they do? He says they do two things. Yeah. He says they screw and they eat. Yeah. (laughs) He says you find the does. He says you're always going to find a buck. (laughs) A tour with a lady and Google. I can't remember how many different times Lane and I were tracking, especially up in Maine. We can go two, three days in his favorite parts of Maine where we wouldn't see a deer track. Mm -hmm. Not anything. Coyotes and then no deer track. We'd come up on a doe track and Lane would be like, okay, suit up. I was like, what's up? He said, we're going to let this lady take, give us a tour (laughs) for the day. We're going to follow her around. And it it worked every single time. We'd follow that doe. For 
six hours. We'd find a doe first thing in the morning. If we didn't find anything for two days straight, third day, first thing in the morning, the first deer track we found, we were on it. Wow. And we'd follow it all day. Mm-hmm. And we always found pockets of deer like that. Always. It wasn't always right where we right where we started. And a lot of times if we had, uh, when I first started with Lane, I had a smartphone. And he'd always think I was texting my girlfriend, which I was a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And he would give me a hard time about using my smartphone when we were, when we were tracking. And we had this one buck that crossed this road and he's just like, man, he says, I ain't, he said, be nice if there was a logging road down there or something. He says, we'd drive down there and see if he crossed, kind of cut it. He says, this track here is about three hours old. So I pulled up, you know, Google Earth on my smartphone, zoomed it up, and I was like, well, this is where we're at. This is where this other logging road's right now. How'd you do that? <laughs> the next year he had a smartphone. Yeah. But we started using that, you know, yeah. how to hopscotch right. the deer to kinda, get ahead of them. kind of makes you wonder, like, if, if the Benoits had had the technology that we have today when they were in and, the heyday. And the, and the knowledge. And the density yeah. of, uh, that the deer were right. in Back those then, heydays. Yeah. Like, Oh, wow. Yeah. And Lane would have a 200-incher. No problem. Yeah. The Cycle of the Herd and Cedar Bogs. What's that? Then we'll have a deer shortage. Well, we already do. Yeah. We do now. It goes in cycles. Each state goes in an ep and and a flow. And Lane was actually starting to get excited about Vermont. Was he? Because the last two years... Mm -hmm. We saw an increase, and Lane was just like, "Man, he says it's on the upswing again. Four more years, man. He says we're gonna, you know, it's gonna be the honey hole again that it was when I was a kid." Hmm. And the same thing was happening to us up in Maine, the area that we we're in, Maine. And it goes by when the logging companies log, and how far it goes through the growth pattern. You know, the deer are in the growth the first two to the second year through the you know fourth year, really heavy. And then the moose move into it after that because it's taller, you know. Yeah. But just the uh, the nature of the way hunters hit a piece of ground with the clear cut, they'll all be in there in that fourth year. And then after that, when it starts to die off and there's nothing in there, guys just give up on it. Well, by the time that thing hits 20 years, they're not bearing trees again. Right. Right. And they're dropping. And then you got all these guys that just totally gave up on the spot because, oh, man, we went there 10 years ago. It sucked. Right. And they get in that mindset where, you know, Lane would revisit those spots just to see what what came back as the dominant growth. Because sometimes you're going to get the confers that come in dominant. Other times you're going to get, you know, the birches and, and uh, you know, hmm. softwoods that, that are non-nut-bearing. Right. So almost like a 20-year cycle after a cut. So almost like a 20-year cycle when it really starts to come back on. And he said, when in doubt, if you had a good spot before, go to the cedar bogs closest. Hmm. Because those deer are going to just... They're gonna you gra- won't forget either. Yeah, they'll gravitate to that swamp. Because they'll eat cedar. Cedar rebounds. They start off quicker. And they eat them off. And it's a safe haven. You know, before I started hunting with Lane, I never even thought of hunting in swamps. I did when I lived in Florida because that's all there was. Right. But as far as Northwoods, you know, if somebody told me. Hardwoods. Yeah, six years ago, 
open hardwoods. Yeah. That's what my dad taught me. You know yeah. what I mean? Lame is like the only time you can see a buck in open hardwoods <laughs> right. is late at night or if he's running through it to get away from a hunter. Right. <laughs> or if he's chasing a doe. Right. Yeah, I got taught that same lesson. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, out of the five years I hunted with Lane, I spent more time in bogs than anything. Yeah. I mean, I there was... There was another spot that Lane and I found in Maine that I'm going to leave mentionless that I would bring any of you guys to. That well, those I GPS coordinates here, again, Paul? That, uh, <laughs> that Lane and I literally said, next year we're bringing our chest waders because we went in there and it was up over our knees. And wow. Lane was just like, they're in the middle. He says, we're bringing chest waders next year. We're getting in there. <laughs> Paul, the beaver blind builder and chewing tobacco. Lane didn't like tree stands. No, Lane no. was scared to death of heights. Oh, my yeah. God. We had this one ground blind that we made this year on top of a boulder. Yeah. I mean, it was a boulder. It was like two stories high mm-hmm. boulder. And it was like half in the ground. And there was a big ponderosa or a big pine, big white pine, actually, that was leaning up against it. And that was the only way I got him up there because I was like, well, I'll go up there and I'll build a blind up there so that you know you're not going to fall over. I'll get some bigger things. So. I was I was like the beaver. Anytime Lane and I did any ground sitting, I'd just be like, just sit here. I'll get it. I could build a blind quicker than anything. And I'd get up there and he'd be like, oh, I can sit in this. Yeah. <laughs> he hated sitting. Yeah. He'd give his dad a hard time for sitting there fidgeting the last couple of years. Lane was just as bad. He'd be sitting there flicking sticks. and <laughs> I started this last year. I started chewing tobacco just to show him how loud it was. <laughs> We're sitting in the stand. He's got to chew in. And I'd, I'd hold my spit until he spit. He'd go, and I'd go, right after. <laughs> He's like, you got to be so noisy. So I'm just doing exactly what you're doing. Actually, I'm spitting a little quieter than you. <laughs> I said, let's see who can spit the quietest, Lane. Then we started doing that. <laughs> Seeing who could spit the quietest. Because, you know, when we're hunting these smaller pieces and we're stuck in a blind, right. a ground blind, you know, we're waiting for the deer to come through this funnel. We're hunting really small pieces of ground. Right. We're in there six, seven hours. Right. We got this thing where we started doing this thing where we'd like take a, we started off with just like taking a, a soda can or I always was drinking seltzer. And then we, we'd aim for the, the can and we'd <laughs> put it farther and farther away, about 10 feet away. <laughs> then Lane was just like real technical difficulties. If you put it about five feet away and we put a pine cone off it and you can spit the pine cone off without knocking the can over. <laughs> the guy was a dead eye. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, that was his favorite thing besides deer hunting. Yeah. <laughs> he loved to chew. Lane's Grocery Store Alter Ego. Lane had this, what I called the Grocery Store Alter Ego. <laughs> where he'd start walking around, then he would he'd get a little pep in his step. <laughs> And he'd be whistling, and he'd start singing. <laughs> he was, like, jolly. You know, and for those of us who knew Lane really close, he, he was kind of, you know, grumpy. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, so to, to have him do this entire swing, it was funny. I'd, like, record it on my smartphone, and I'd play it back for him <laughs> later on after we had a few cocktails. <laughs> well, uh, I started the, I started this two years ago. Every time we'd start looking for a new spot, and I and I I could just tell Lane was looking for a spot like he wanted to go over the mountain. He always had to see what was on the other side. Yeah. And when we got out of the truck, and the kid song, the bear went over the mountain, the bear went yeah. over the mountain. 
I started singing, Lane went over the mountain, or Lane went over the, and then he started going with it. So then I'd, I'd take the camera and I'd hold it out the window doing a selfie on the two of us singing that. <laughs> and I got another selfie of Lane and I singing that song from Beverly Hillbillies. You know, where, oh, where are you tonight? Oh, yes, yes. Why did you leave me here alone? <laughs> I searched the world over and thought I found true love. You found another and he was gone. <laughs> I ain't old enough for that. Yeah, it was on Yeehaw <laughs> when I was a kid. The facade of Lane and Larry Benoit. Well, you know, Lane was used to people taking advantage of him. He was. So he built this facade up, and it took him a while for it to drop down, even with me, you know? I mean, his dad, when Larry first met me, the first whole year, Larry was just kind of like, you know, he couldn't figure out, okay, this guy went out and spent five grand of his own money to buy his own camera equipment. He doesn't charge us for filming. Right. He buys his own hunting licenses. You know, what's in it for him? Right. You know, and I would tell Larry, you know, I said, Larry, I'm living a dream. You know, I'm documenting history here. You guys are my heroes and I don't need a paycheck. Right. You know, I mean, it, it, one of the things I learned over in Iraq is, you know, you enjoy what you love and do what you love. And, and, and you know, right. and I said, you know, I, I lost enough friends over there that I'm happy to just enjoy what I'm doing right now. Enjoy the moment. Yep. And after I shared that with Larry, he kind of dropped his guard. But for the longest time, man, he'd just sit there and he'd watch me. What's his motive? You well, legal eye had well, because they've been yeah. burned so many times, you know. But it was really neat when, you know, the end of Larry's life being able to, you know, when Larry was sick and I'd just get to go over to his house and sit there and watch black and white cowboy movies with him. Right. Just sit on the couch and sit there and watch old John Wayne flicks and bonanza and stuff for hours right. i remember sitting there just you know the room's dark and it's in the temple what i call you know larry's living room with right. all them bucks right and i remember just sitting there watching these black and white movies and i'm just sitting here looking over lane sleeping snoring with his mouth open <laughs> and i'm looking over there and there's larry benoit i'm sitting on the couch watching old westerns with lane benoit and larry benoit and i'm just like pinching myself you know, like we <laughs> gotta be kidding me it's <laughs> not happening right now that must have been amazing yeah and then you know and then there's different times you know when larry uh when we were at camp and larry needed to go upstairs he couldn't walk up the stairs really well yeah and uh i remember up in maine twice you know he's like get over here son you know he called me son and put his arm around me and i help him up the steps and Pat me on the back and say I was a good kid, you know. Freaking, I, it, Damn. Yeah, it made my whole life, you know. Right. Spent my whole life sitting there reading about these guys and then to get in their world as, as intimately as you did. That's yep. something else. Slipped in it. A spiritual side in a medicine bag. After he killed a deer, he'd always th thank the Lord, thank God. He wasn't a church-going guy, but he had reverence for it. Larry would would actually, you know, go through this whole thing of, you know, my brother Buck, thank you for giving your life, you know, sustenance that you give my family, and I have respect for everything that no you've kidding. done in the woods. And then Larry would take some of the blood and he'd paint it on his face. Mm -hmm. And Lane and I did that the last year. So that's the native thing? Yeah. And I started, I don't know, probably my third year into it, kind of wearing my medicine bag. And different things from that I'd oh, learned. Oh, that's right. I saw you wear that yeah, thingy. That I'd, I'd put Lane different that things too. that I'd learned. Interesting. And I'd put it Lane in my medicine bag. He carried a little little sock. 
one of the last things I put in my medicine bag there when Lane and I were uh, up in Maine is this one particular buck. We knew it was the same buck. We had tracked him three different years. And he was in this really nasty swamp. That was the one that he said we were going in next year with chest waders. And uh, we hunted him three weeks this year. And halfway through the first week, he raked a tree about the size of a coffee can, Hmm. about two feet. And just kind of cut it up. It wasn't really shredded. And then the deer was in a three-day cycle. So three days later, he comes back, and that tree is just shredded all the way around to, like, fine fibers. And then the next day after that, or the next three-day cycle that the buck came through, he hit another set of trees right next to it, and his tines were so tall that the other trees are really close. But anyway, the the buck's antlers had gotten on that. And the day before we left, you know, the amount of time that we put into that one particular buck and we had let a lot of other ones go, Lane and I went back to that tree, and Lane took his knife and he cut some of the fiber off of it. And he twists it up and he says, there you go. There's something for your bag. He says, we honor the respect of what that thing did. Interesting. And got a couple different things in my bag, but now I got a piece of wood. Wood fiber. Wood fiber. I had a whole bunch of it. I had it like right. packed in. Yeah. And I actually took some of it out and I wetted it down and braided it mm-hmm. and made a couple different ones. Yeah. Seems. Uh, I know a couple different guys that carry medicine bags that were really close to Lane that, um, I gave one of the guys some of that. A medicine bag is just a, a pouch that you carry. It's a little leather pouch. Memories that, and that I thoughts. wear around my neck. Yep. And and uh, different milestones for me in mm-hmm. my hunting are you things that I put in. Like one of the things I have in it for is sure. a bear claw from my first black bear I got. Okay. And I've got a uh, flint broadhead in there, the very first flint broadhead that i made and actually killed a deer yep. with gotcha is in there so little artifacts and little artifacts memories i've got a yep. cloth patch from the day i shot my first buck with a with a black powder i took one of my patches out of my thing and yeah interesting that's cool i like that yeah and yeah. it kind of you know if you look at some of the older benoit videos you'll see larry has a deer ear part of a deer ear tied to the front of his gun. Hmm. And that was to remind him, you know, in his spiritual act of, of the engagement of hunting, it was almost like a spiritual act in it, you know, becoming one with the woods and, and pursuing the animal, that to keep you mindful of the deer's hearing because it's so acute. Hmm. I mean, it's the first thing that gives you away with a deer. They say, you know, Larry told me, he said, you know, Native, Native American Indian proverb, is that if a leaf falls in the woods, a deer will hear it, a bear will smell it, and a turkey will see it. Interesting. We had quite a time talking about Lane and sharing stories and listening to Paul talk about all the little things he learned about Lane, spending as much time as he did in the woods with a camera on him, day in, day out, eating with Lane hanging out with Lane, talking to Lane, driving with Lane, everywhere he went. Most appreciative to Paul for opening up and and telling us his story that he had, spending time with Lane over the last several years. During dinner, there was a loud thud that came from upstairs. Nobody knew what it was. Still don't know what it is today, but I have to believe that perhaps it was Lane. 
exiting the North American tracker staff, saying somehow that everything's going to be okay. So thanks for tuning in to the Big Buck Registries Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 100, a tribute to Lane Benoit, part two. Tune in tomorrow for part three, where we release the final episode of the three-part tribute to Lane Benoit. This time, it's the interview with Lane himself. This is Jay Scott from the Big Buck Registries Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. See you tomorrow. Can't wait. Can't wait.